Hello and welcome to the Deadline Detroit Podcast. I'm Jeff Watrick and joining me in studio today is longtime investigative journalist turned private investigator Scott Lewis. We'll be uh, back in just a second to talk to him about his uh, new career and uh, some of the highlights of his old one. Uh, but first we're going to pay a bill. Scrapbusters owner Bill Wild would like to thank all of Wayne County for 25 years of support. So who comes into Scrapbusters? Anybody that wants to save money. What we offer is a low-cost option for people to fix their cars and keep them on the road. You know, our customers have a blast when they come to Scrapbusters. It's very easy, it's safe, it's clean, and you can save a lot of money. And we just want to tell everybody we appreciate their loyalty and their business. Bill Wild and Scrapbusters, serving the community for 25 years. Hey, and welcome back. Uh, this is Jeff Watrick and the Deadline Detroit podcast. Joining me in studio today is uh, a name uh, you're probably all familiar with, Scott Lewis, uh, formerly of Channel 2, formerly of Channel 7, and now uh, Scott Lewis PI. Yeah, what a move, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think for a lot of people, the idea of being a private investigator is kind of a, a pretty glamorous you know, kind of dream occupation kind right. of thing. Uh, how did you make the transition from investigative reporter to investigator? Well, I didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, it'd be cool to be a private investigator. Sure. This is something I've been thinking about for a long time. Because, to be honest with you, Jeff, I enjoyed the investigative part of the TV reporting mm -hmm. thing more than I liked the TV side of it. Sure. I mean, I enjoyed telling the stories and writing the stories, but there's an awful lot of um, rigmarole that goes along with putting a TV story together. Mm -hmm. When I was really having the most fun and, and, and enjoying it the most was when I was out digging things up. So um, I, I had a friend who, who's in the PI business and got to know him over the years and how the business worked. And I just thought, this is something that I'd really like to do, and I think I'd be good at it. And um, I also realized that one of the issues that people have when they hire a private investigator is trust. If you call a PI, you're in some kind of sure. trouble. You're hurting or you've got something you need to know. You're in a tough spot. And I thought, well, people know who I am. They trust me because they've they've seen me for so many years on TV, and they've seen they've seen the results I get. So um, I'm going to take a chance, not take the easy route, and work in TV until I retire, which right. I could have done. And I'm just going to take a chance and have a little adventure and see how it works out. So what what kind of cases do you anticipate uh, picking up? I think it's going to run the gambit. the the common thing The common cases are um, a lot of them come from law firms. Uh, there are background checks. Uh, that can be, um, you know, from a law firm, or it can be just someone who's going to go into business with someone, or it can be someone who's dating a person and they're not quite sure oh, that's about them, and they want to find out a little more before they continue this relationship. Uh, there are asset investigations. Uh, you want to sue somebody, and uh, you want to find out are they collectible. You have a case against them, but mm -hmm. why spend all the money to sue them if there's nothing to collect? Um, there are. Uh, uh, other cases that you can do, um, uh, surveillance cases come into play a lot, cheating spouses, um, insurance fraud, disability cases mm -hmm. where you need to do um, uh, you need to do surveillance work. So there's just all kinds of uh, different things that come up that people need private investigators for, and um, you just never know what you're going to hit. And I, I think because of my TV background. Uh, I may get some of the more complicated cases than just, I need you to do a background <laughs> check on this person. I've got this thing and I need you to figure it out. Something's wrong here. And that's, those are the ones I really look forward to. Sure. And, and, and what kind of, I mean, the, the skills that you employed in TV when you're going after someone like Lonnie Bates, mm -hmm. uh, th those, pretty, those translate pretty well. 
They do. Um, for instance, if you're if you're doing a background check, another thing we do is is locate investigations to find mm -hmm. people. I did a lot of that in my investigative reporting career because we would get a phone call from someone who says, um, "I'm being cheated by this guy who's a fake attorney." I did a couple of these. Right. He's claiming to be attorney. He's taking my money. So now I got to find this guy to confront him. Well, it's usually a guy with a throwaway cell phone. He's never lived in one address for more than a couple of months doesn't have a car registered to them and they're really hard to find so that's where my skill will really come in from the reporting and the same on the background check um, virtually everybody I investigated you're doing a background check and you're going very deep so sure. I think the skills will translate it, it comes down to uh, being able to deal with people knowing where to look for the information you know knowing how to work the court system mm -hmm. knowing how to work a database knowing how to follow a trail of information. So the skill set is really the same. Where it, it gets different is at the end of the investigation, uh, the format of how you present your material is very, very different. different yeah. Instead of doing a five-minute TV piece and having to have video for everything and make the story compelling and want people to watch it, uh, now what I'll be doing is putting together a report for the client that's confidential, not telling the whole world, sure. and it'll start with a summary where I summarize what I found in my investigation and then you'll lay down behind the summary uh, all of the facts and what you have to document the facts, the court records and everything. So mm -hmm. it's just a different format of presenting it, but what I like about it is I'm in control of my day, mm -hmm. I'm in control of my work product, and I'm in control of my destiny. and. Um, I've worked for someone since I was 14 years old having a paper route. Sure. And so what I'm really enjoying is um, just being able to get up every day and decide this is what I'm going to do today. Mm -hmm. And if my business is a great success, I can take the uh, the credit. And if it fails, it's all on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of interesting to think about the, the, as you're moving out of investigative reporting, um, for, for a long time, at least in TV, you were kind of it in Detroit. Yep. And now it seems like like almost all, all the channels now, that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, do you kind of feel a sense of legacy that you kind of carried that torch and, and now that sort of genre is blossoming again? I, I do feel that way. That's, I, I really appreciate you asking that question. When I got into investigative reporting full-time, it was um, when we started the Fox 2 Problem Solvers. Right. I think it was around, I want to say... Uh, she's like, I don't even remember what year it was now. But uh, 99, I think it was 99. Mm -hmm. um, there was very little investigative reporting in Detroit. When you'd see an investigative report, it would be during a rating book, and they'd take a daily reporter and say, okay, Jeff, yeah. go out there and do a four-minute piece instead of a one-minute piece, and we'll call it an investigation. Well, uh, this fellow, Neil Goldstein, came into town, and he had this idea for the Problem Solvers Investigative Unit, and... Channel 2 was on the bottom of the heap. I mean, nobody was paying attention to us. We had no identity, very few viewers. And we started the problem solvers, and he said the, the core of this, this, this um, um, operation is going to be the investigative unit. And so we started putting on these really kind of hard-hitting and edgy investigations. Right. They were not quite Charlie Leduff. <laughs> they were quite well, no a few messages, right. yeah. but, but, but they were more entertaining. Sure. And, I, and what really uh, was the turning point for me, 
I got a call one day about these pothole patchers that were out there, and they said they're they're not working. They're drinking and I think I remember that smoking, story. In fact, smoking yeah, dope yeah. all day, and right. I and I, I I went home. I remember going home and telling my wife if, if what this guy told me, if half of it is true, this is going to be an incredible story. So we went out the next day with uh, I think a crew of three people, four maybe, undercover following these guys. They did an hour and 45 minutes worth of work and they started on the 40 ounces at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And we had all the video of them drinking, urinating in the street, smoking pot, the whole bit. And so I put this story together and I played the Sheryl Crow song, I Like a Good Beer Buzz Early in the Morning. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm getting a call from the Free Press. They're writing an article about this story. They'd never seen anything like it on TV. And I have to give Neil Goldstein credit because he, he helped me on how to package the thing. Well, the next thing I know, the phone's ringing and they're telling me about Edison workers and Ameritech workers and water workers. Right. And it kind of became a franchise busted on the job. And I think that's what really caught on. And it made Fox 2 very popular. And then I think the other stations saw there's a market for this investigative reporting. Everybody's going to Fox 2, so they started competing. And um, that's good for the community because mm -hmm. the more investigative reporting, especially in a, in a place like Detroit, the better. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I, don't, think, I don't think you would have a, the, the Kilpatrick situation end the way it did. I don't think a, a number of these, Monica Conyers and, mm -hmm. and Lonnie Bates and, and uh, Sinegro, probably right. without right. that sort of investigative journalism taking place. You know, and I think the people of Detroit recognize that, and I think they appreciate what they have, not just on the TV side, but in the print side. We've got a lot of good darn reporters in this town, and they've For done sure. some fabulous work. You know, Schaefer and Elric with the Kilpatrick text messages. And I, I really think that um, a lot of the stuff that has been cleaned up in the last few years is a direct result of leads that the feds got through good journalism. Mm -hmm. I know for sure uh, my case when I reported on Lonnie Bates with the ghost employees on the payroll, the FBI got on that the day after the story ran. I ran it at uh, 10 o'clock at <laughs> night and the next morning they're out uh, grabbing an interview that Bates had done on the morning uh, show mm -hmm. of a radio station the following morning. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, I think that it, it has had um, great impact on what's happening in Detroit. Now, obviously, now you're going to be working for, for clients, and it's a different kind of thing, but do you see a, a, a path where in that work you'll kind of be doing some of the, the, the same sort of investigations you're doing on TV, but for, for clients? It could happen because um, a lot of times um, I would get calls at the TV stations where People would have a very legitimate problem, mm -hmm. but it was not something that would make a news story, mm -hmm. or it was not something that we could do in television. Maybe it would be a print story, but they have le legitimate problems. Um, so I could see that kind of person coming to me and saying, you know, will you investigate that case? In fact, I just, um, I'm on the verge of picking up a case that involved a, a suspicious death that the people don't think was properly investigated. And that's kind of right, right up my alley. That's the kind of thing I would do on TV. So along with the standard things I talked about, the asset right. searches, the background checks, I expect to get some kind of cases like that. And, and those are the ones that I'll really enjoy where I can really throw myself into it. Because what I really love about investigative reporting and investigating, period, I love looking for that one little nugget right. that everybody missed and it just makes the, the picture come together. And I, and I imagine there's got to be a, a great sense of satisfaction when you in a situation like that where someone doesn't feel the police has investigated something mm -hmm. right and you can give them a sense of closure one way or the other. Mm -hmm. One of the stories I'm most proud of in my career, it might even be number one, I got a call one day 
uh, and it was a message that someone took. It was from a prostitute on the east side of Detroit. And she said, we've got a serial killer working out here, and we need Scott Lewis to investigate this. And this woman came from a payphone. Mm -hmm. She gave me an address on Fisher Street on the east side. And um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to check this out. It could be something crazy, but I'm going to go out there. So I went out there, and it was an abandoned house, but there were people squatting in it. And they said, she's just not here right now. Come back. Mm -hmm. So I came back at least once, maybe twice, to talk to this woman, and she started telling me these names of uh, street women, Sweet Pea, and, and things like sure. that. She said, all these women have been murdered, and they're all similar cases, and the police don't care because we're prostitutes. Right. And so I went to the head of homicide and uh, asked him about all these street names, and he said, we've never had any murders like that. We don't know. We know of only three murders, and they don't match those names. So I just went out and doggedly pursued these street names, found out what the real names were, got the morgue records, and I put together a pattern of about 11 prostitute murders in a 2.3 square mile area on the east side of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And eventually, by reporting on it over and over, I forced the police to form a task force, and eventually they ended up arresting a guy named Shelley Brooks, and he's in prison right now. And you know, the street knows what's going on. Those people told me right off the get-go, this is going to be somebody in the neighborhood. We know him. We smoke crack with him. Mm -hmm. He knows we know him. And that's going to be the killer. And it was. He was a guy right in the neighborhood. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't catch the killer, but it was my reporting that forced the police to get on it. And then one woman was beaten within a, an inch of her life. And she was able to give a description of the guy. We put it on TV. The police got a phone call and they ended up getting DNA and all kinds of evidence and they think this guy was responsible for 12 murders. So to me, to to go to work for someone ha that has no voice like that, you know, people sure. tend to look at a prostitute as a throwaway person, but they're not. They're, they're mm -hmm. people just like you and I. And so um, that was one of the, the, the high moments of my career. And I mentioned it takes a sort of special kind of uh, way to you relate to people to for you know someone to come in and suit and tie or mm -hmm. you know professional situation to come to a squatter house and mm -hmm. talk to prostitutes was that something that came really natural to you or did that develop over time i think it came natural to me because um i grew up in a small town of eight thousand people okay. and it's one of those things where um one of the newspaper reporters once described me as the closest thing to a blue-collar guy on TV news mm -hmm. and it's just the way I am I'm more comfortable in a shot in a beer bar than I am at a place with champagne and tuxedos and so I'm I'm able to go into any situation because we're all people and we all put our pants on one leg at a time so I'm really comfortable talking to people even if if um, it's a different race or a different economic group mm -hmm. and and I'm good at that and the other thing that I think is important I'll see investigative reporters on this TV this might sound silly and they're out in the middle of some neighborhood in the city, and they're wearing a, uh, a suit with a little hanky in the, you yeah, know, right, yeah. how, do you, how do you relate to people on the street like that? And I was always, if you saw me on TV, more often I had a golf shirt and blue jeans. Sure. And so I just think it's all in the approach. And the, the other thing that I always did is um, you can never be the, the, the big shot reporter, like you need to talk to me and you won't get anywhere with people. You've got to be nice to them. And you got to engage them and be interested in them. And the one thing that always served me well is I would always ask people, can you help me out? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, if you ask people for their help and you do it sincerely, very often they'll give it to you. Is that maybe something from, my next question is going to be, what is sort of the one reporting trait that 
you think carries over well in the investigation and maybe you already answered that or is there something else? I think it's dogged determination. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of stories that I had to quit on because you just hit a dead end, but um, I think um, if, if there's one trait I have, it's that I don't give up easily, mm -hmm. and I think that's what I want to carry on into my work as a private investigator. Just when you think you're at the end, read those reports again. Find that one little nugget. That happened to me on a case um, that I'm working to try to get two innocent people out of prison. I'm doing some pro bono work for the Innocence Project. This was a case where two young guys from the east side of Detroit were sent to prison for life for murdering a young mom. And um, I kept going through these police reports. And after my sixth or seventh time, I realized there was an eight-year-old boy in the car. And there was no evidence that the police ever talked to this boy. So I tracked him down and found him in prison in Pennsylvania. Wow. And that took a while. That took a lot of doing to find the guy. And I sent him a letter and asked him, I, I'm reinvestigating your mother's death. I just have a couple of questions. Did you see anything that night? And could you, did the police ever talk to you? And he wrote me back a letter and said, Mr. Lewis, I will never forget the face of that man that shot my mother. Not I those men, imagine, right. that man. That's interesting. That yeah. man. And so the end result was I ended up getting a, a great appeal angle for the Innocence Project because it was a witness the police overlooked. And when they showed him a blind lined up, lineup, he said those two guys, he didn't know who was who, right. but the two guys that are in prison were not among, not the guy that shot his mother. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in now your brief time as a, as a PI, what is uh, most surprising or interesting sort of thing you've discovered that's maybe different from journalism? I guess I understated uh, or underestimated a little bit how hard it is to get a business started, <laughs> and I think right. Deadline Detroit figured yeah, we that can, out. Yeah, we can relate that too, <laughs> for sure. You know, you you uh, you realize all the things about opening the bank accounts, taking the visa cards, the insurance, the bonding, mm -hmm. the licensing. I had to go through all that and getting the software on the computer. I've never been in business for myself, so there was a real learning curve for that. And it took a little bit longer, you know, to build a website and all that kind of thing. But you know what? I have to say, it's all been fun. It's all a new, new adventure, and that's another reason I decided to do this. You get one shot at life. It is an adventure, and rather than play it safe, I decided to roll the dice and uh, try something fun. And so far, it's working out pretty well. Well, Scott, thanks for uh, coming in and doing this with us. And I, I hope if you get any hot leads, you let us know. Well, you'll be the first call because I will get be getting some news tips too. I think. Great. Thanks so much. All right. It's good to talk.